Coleman National Monument in Chicago, Illinois, with your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes. We welcome you to Live from the Pullman National Monument, our global cast magazine format talk radio show, where we discuss all things cultural economic development, i.e. tourism, and we hold informative conversations on the arts, music, business, and people. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes, founder of the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porting Museum, a National Park Service site in Chicago, Illinois. Good day to you, my listening audience, and we thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Today's show is brought to you by the Pullman Messenger Magazine and Hughes-Peterson Publishing, partially underwritten by Chew Chicago, the premier tourism marketing agency in Chicago, Illinois. Visit the PullmanPorterMuseum.com where you can purchase an annual membership at the level of your choice. And, of course, visit our website here to find out more about the show live from the Pullman National Monument at bbsradio.com forward slash live from PNM to contact us. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to our show. Welcome to another edition of Live from the Pullman National Monument. Once again, we want to thank you for sharing a part of your day with us. On today's show, as always, we strive to bring you what we hope is interesting and informative content on every aspect of tourism. But first, in the tradition that we have established, we always start the show by giving you a little bit of information about the Pullman National Monument, which is where we are. So we we try to give you sort of updates, if you will. So for right now, there's not a lot of new anything happening. We're still building. But in the process of the National Park Service building their new visitor center, there are other sites, those of us, of which the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum is among a small group of sites they were already working, already established before the National Park Service came to join us. And so we have uh, currently the National Park Service is operating out of what we call the Shared Visitor Center. So the Visitor Center is being shared by the National Park Service and the Historic Pullman Foundation. They have an arrangement. And so the visitor center is operated by both parties, if you will. Now, what's happening at what's in the visitor center? It is that. It's designed to sort of be the traffic cop, if you will, of the Pullman National Monument. And so it's, its purpose is to direct individual visitors to the various sites within the monument. We're still working out the kinks, but that's what it's supposed to do. Now, the Historic Pullman Foundation, their focus is the 19th century architecture of the town of the original town of Pullman and the history of the company and sort of how the company operated within the town that George Pullman built. That's one site in the monument. There's another site called the Greenstone Church. Uh, It is significant in that it was a Unitarian church, the green limestone bricks, and it has a very famous organ that is featured there, which is apparently a really big deal. (laughs) We have... Also, the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. 
our focus is uh, black labor history. That is all that we do. We leave the other part of the history of the town to uh, the Pullman Foundation, and that is their focus. But our focus is 100% on black labor history, and we are the only African-American site in the monument. We also have the distinction of being the only museum nationwide that exclusively interprets the chronological history and a sequence of important events in the history of the founding of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, which happened to be the first African-American labor union uh, chartered in America under the American Federation of Labor. Because this is Black History Month, I'm taking the liberty of giving you a little bit more information about that. The National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum is what we call a thematic museum. And so the theme, of course, is black labor history. And that is what we do. We tell, we exclusively tell the story of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. And it's the only one of the, its kind worldwide. And, and I say that because other museums have exhibits about the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Our entire museum is dedicated to black labor history and the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. That is our distinction. So we, in addition to those three sites, there is one restaurant. It's called the Pullman Cafe. It's a quaint uh, eatery, a sandwich shop, but there's other things that are, are established now. I think we now have uh, pot, pot bellies, but there's so much activity and building that when visitors come, I think each time visitors come, there's something new happening, but be that as it may, as of today, that is what we have in the Pullman National Monument. The Pullman National Monument was established in February of 2015 by a proclamation of um, 44th President Barack Obama. And so it is designated as a unit of the Pullman, of the National Park Service, although we the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. We were not a unit of the National Park Service. We're what is called a partner site. So the National Park Service does not own our museum, nor does it operate our museum, because we're 24 years old and they've only been there four. At any rate, we hope that that provides you some information, uh, important information that will arm you, uh, better equip you when you come to visit the Pullman National Monument. Let's go to break and come back with today's guest. Visit the PullmanPorterMuseum.com where you can purchase an annual membership at the level of your choice. And of course, visit our website here to find out more about the show live from the Pullman National Monument at BBSRadio.com forward slash live from PNM to contact us. Port Hughes Peterson Publishing by visiting the PullmanMessenger.com and purchase an annual subscription. It's just $12 a year. Or purchase an anthology of respect by Dr. Lynn Hughes. Available on Amazon.com. Welcome back, everyone. On today's show, I'd like to deviate just a bit. In the United States, the month of February is designated as Black History Month. That being the case, 
I'd like to take executive privilege and spend some time talking about the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. Founded in 1995, it was the first and currently still is the only museum in the country designated, dedicated exclusively to African-American labor contributions in America's labor history that begins with the African-American railroad employee. The story of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters is a lesson in leadership, perseverance, and unity, and organizing among black men. It is a triumphant story of solidarity among the African-American railroad employee. Since the museum's opening, we have continuously and consistently created opportunities to tell the story of A. Philip Randolph and the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters and the significant contributions of African-Americans to America's labor movement. The museum is not operated, nor is it funded by a government agency, but it is, in fact, a 24-year-old, self-funded African-American labor history museum. Its sole purpose and mission is to collect, interpret, and present to the public the important contributions of African-Americans to America's labor history. We do this through exhibitions, public programs, and continuing research. The museum is operated on an entrepreneurial model, which is probably why it still exists. It is run by a dedicated staff of volunteers, which is a miracle in the fact that the museum's reputation as a significant contribution to the museum community existed two decades before President Obama recognized the black labor history subject matter in his designation speech for the creation of the Pullman National Monument, a unit of the National Park Service. I say it's a miracle because a museum of the caliber of the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum, without government support, is virtually non-existent. But I think that is really the only reason we still exist. Because we're not government-funded nor government-operated, in point of fact, the museum is operated on an entrepreneurial model. And I think in light of the activities and the way that the things are going with the museums across the country, the museum community is now looking for, everyone is gravitating for seeking ideas of how to operate a museum without being grant dependent or government funding dependent. <laughs> well, we have 24 years experience operating in that model. It's called cultural economic development. And that is important. And I think um, it's important because it forces you when you're not government funded, it forces you to be creative. The the A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum, uh, is, it seems that the museum that I've created has attained more recognition on a national level than in Chicago. We have been visited by tourists from London, Sweden, China, 
Finland and the Netherlands. We have been visited and featured by the likes of Good Morning America, CBS Evening News, and were contributors to the script and development of an original docudrama, 10,000 Black Men Named George, by the Showtime Network. And the list goes on. But we are very proud of the work that we do. We are very proud of the track record that we have created. And despite the fact that we operate without being grant dependent or operated by uh, our operations are not funded by government support, with a dedicated staff of volunteers, we thrive and continue to present a quality programming and excellent exhibitions to the general public. We are a private public museum independently operated uh, in order to produce and present programs where we interpret this legendary story. And I just wanted just to take a moment to say to those of you in the listening audience who may have an idea or have had an idea that you wanted to pursue, but you were discouraged by people suggesting that your idea didn't have legs or it wasn't going to move or do anything, I will share with you that when I stepped out on faith and established the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum, there were all manner of people, including family and friends, who suggested that I must have lost my mind because I had no experience in museumology. I had no experience working in a gallery. I had no experience whatsoever. And I'm sharing that with you to say that when you have an idea and it doesn't manifest right away, whatever you do, don't give up. Because I can tell you this. If you allow people to discourage you from, from acting on your idea. I can guarantee you one thing, that that discouragement had a source. And by that I mean that someone saw and re- recognized that the idea that you had had significance and that it was going somewhere or it could go somewhere. So by discouraging you, that spirit of discouragement then leaves the door open for someone to come and pick up that idea and move on and develop it for themselves. I can guarantee you that when you share your idea with someone and you get that discouragement, immediately someone begins to develop a plan (laughs) to take the idea that they have discouraged you from acting upon and are developing a plan to implement that idea. So I'm just sharing that with you. Don't give up on your idea because it came to you for a reason. Of all the people in the universe, it was given to you. So you have an obligation to continue to try to perfect that. And it may mean that you will digress and reevaluate, and it may mean that you now have to have a partner, and that's okay. But the universe deposited in you that idea, and so you must continue to be involved in that idea because the universe wanted it developed and they chose you. And so the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum is in existence because that was that idea was deposited in me 24 years ago. So we, on February the 24th, we will be celebrating our 24th anniversary. The universe gave me that idea to create the museum and for two decades, 
we have had from every imaginable source discouragement. But when you are aligned with the ideas that come to you from the universe, you may get a little discouraged and sometimes you may get tired and want to give up. But when you don't give up, it's almost like the universe gives you a battery charge. And so you are reinforced and given the energy and the courage and the encouragement to proceed forward, particularly uh, in, 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 in our case. When I began, when I founded the museum and everyone said to me, well, you must be crazy. You don't have any experience. It's never going to work. You don't have any credentials. I didn't, at the time, I didn't know what, the, what they were talking about. What do you mean I don't have any credentials? The idea and the inspiration is really the seed that you w will water and it will grow into all of those things that they tell you you don't have. And at the time that I was given that those words of discouragement, um, I began to water those seeds. And so the museum is 24 years old. I now have three degrees. <laughs> so I think that's some credentials. I'm just sharing with you, don't give up on your idea. We have had since all of the attention that we created on this idea at the time we started this museum, nobody even wanted to hear the name about Pullman Porters because it was looked upon as a job that was menial uh, and, and not worthy of conversation. But in the 20 years of work that we've put in, I think we've awakened the spirit of people we awakened the um, merchandising ideas. We've been awakened uh, entrepreneurial efforts. We've even awakened the spirits in the National Park Service. The National Park Service has, we became a part of the area that was designated by President Barack Obama in 2015. And suddenly, Everyone there wants to talk about the Pullman Porters, but the, the the National Park Service has been there for four years. We've been in existence for 24 years. So there must be something that we did correctly. So I just really wanted to just to take a few minutes to say to all of those who are listening, don't give up on your ideas. And, and quite frankly, to congratulate the team of wonderful team of people, volunteers who have over two decades have been there with their talents and resources and encouragement and time to, de to devote to a very worthy uh, cause. It is something that has life now, thanks to all of our efforts. It will continue long after we're all gone, thankfully, because it's important. It represents uh, knowledge that must be imparted, needs to be imparted into us all. Because when you know more about other cultures, it helps you to be a better person. It helps you to be a better citizen. And when you're a better citizen, you help and contribute to make it a better world. And God knows that what is happening in this country right now and across the globe, frankly, we could use a little bit of positive infusion. And so I, I want to thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share this with you. And I would be remiss in my comments, if I did not say that the existence of the vehicle of BBS Radio Network is pivotal in what we're doing. The timing could not have been more perfect. While we were in existence for 22 years, we've been with BBS Radio Network for two, and because BBS BBS Radio Network is a global has a global audience that has helped us tremendously 
When I said to you that we have had people from China and London and the Netherlands and Sweden, and it, it, that is true. And I'm not at the museum on a regular daily basis, but I, there have been times when I was in the museum and people have walked into the museum. We had a family who came to the museum and they were from France and I asked the question, how did you know about us? And they said that they had read an article in the newspaper. The article was prompted by someone listening to a radio station, an internet radio station in France, and heard about the museum on the live from the Pullman National Monument radio show. I almost fainted. <laughs> but thank God for the resource of BBS Radio Network because you never know. It's called connecting the dots. Who knew? We certainly didn't know that we would ever embark upon uh, a radio show on, on an internet radio show and we'd encounter the wonderful family of people at BBS Radio Network. And I tend to be a little eccentric, but they indulge me. <laughs> They indulge me and allow me to do what is in my spirit to do, and that is connecting people. And I think culture is the cure. Culture is the key. It is the key to connecting the dots. And that is what, who we are and what we do. We just happen to have a unique vehicle, vehicle in order to do that. And so for that, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We will take a break and come back with our first guest. Let's go to break and come back. Stay with us. The National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum, in collaboration with the Chicago Federation of Labor, presents the 2019 Gentle Warrior Awards Sunday, February 24th at 5 p.m. in the historic Parkway Ballroom. The Gentle Warrior Award, named in honor of A. Philip Randolph, recognizes exceptional individuals in two categories. This year, honorees include... Juliana Stratton, Lieutenant Governor of Illinois, Robert Ryder, President, Chicago Federation of Labor, and Jesse White, Illinois Secretary of State. The Community Change Agent honorees are Joyce Chapman, Mark Pullins, and Vivian Williams. The 2019 Gentle Warrior Awards, Sunday, February 24th, from 5 p.m. until 9, in the elegant Parkway Ballroom, 4455 South King Drive, featuring WVON's Cliff Kelly as Master of Ceremony and Local stylings of Takora Rogers. For ticket information, search GentleWarriorAwards.com. Welcome to another edition of Live from Pullman National Monument. And as you are aware, this show is about tourism, all aspects of tourism. And today we're have we have as our guest co-host David A. Peterson. He is our resident tourist stat guru. The information that he provides to you are important statistics that provide you, the listening audience, with a better understanding, perhaps, and a perspective on tourism statistics. So without further ado, David Peterson, welcome to the show. Well, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Hughes. What a pleasure and an honor to be here. Well, so, thank you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so just to jump in, you know, the numbers are in, and we are excited about the influence uh, tourism and hospitality has had on not only the, the city, but the state of Illinois. Uh, specifically in Chicago, uh, in 2018, we had 58 million visitors come to Chicago. So now we're up 4% from 2017, and that's about 19 million more visitors than it was in 2011. Uh, during that time period, it's created 22,000 jobs. Um, so, you know, we, we, as we can see, there's definitely a trend of inclining uh, tourism activity coming to the, uh, to the city. In regard to the state, ironically, um, we had nearly 114 million travelers uh, come this year, uh, last year, uh, given a $1.1 billion boost to the state's economy. So that's another, you know, thing to toot our horn about. And, um, you know, 1.4 percent higher than it was in 2016. 
Um, so we're, we're excited, you know, we're, we're excited to see the trend going up and we are anticipating a lot more happening uh, as time goes on. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's always good to know because, you know, as the people who travel around the globe and they always, people somehow Chicago always comes on the radar. So we're always happy to provide information about what's happening in the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago in particular. And so the kind of information that you have just provided helps the listening audience. Let's go to break and come back. Stay with us. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Spotlight on Culture and Around the Museum Table. Our guest today is Paula Reynolds. She is president of American Tour Guide Association. And I love having Paula Reynolds with us because she always has a very colorful and exciting discussions about places that she's been. It's always a learning experience. But that is why we do this show. We always like to we like to think that we provide informative uh, content for our listening audience. And so it's a learning experience for the listener and it's a learning experience for the interviewer. <laughs> so Paula Reynolds, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled that you're back with us. It's been a little over a year since you were here with us. And and so a little newsletter update. This month, the museum, the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum, we're celebrating our 24th anniversary. So you get to partake in that celebration. Who knows? You may be in Chicago. Wonderful. I do plan on being in Chicago in the spring. So I will definitely make it a point to come and visit everyone. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So tell us a little bit uh, about, for those who didn't have the honor of listening to you previously, tell us a little bit about American Tour Guide Association and what you do. And then we're going to go into your telling us something about your recent adventures. Okay. Well, American Tour Guide Association develops tours that are based on American culture, heritage, and history. And we also have a certification program for the tour guide so that they can train to do these tours. And so we are Americana in the sense that uh, we really promote our country. Yes. Well, that's good. You know, I... Mm -hmm. When we say this show is about tourism, every aspect of tourism, so so we, we sort of go beyond the flash and the panache of, you know, telling people all of the great places like the TV commercials show. And that's all good, too, but there's so many layers to tourism. And, and what you just stated is one of those layers. There has to be people who function in the capacity of guiding tourists from around the globe into visiting some of the wonderful places that we have to offer in America. So, okay, I'll back out of the door and let you continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, and that really is our goal. There are some companies that have the philosophy of having a hostess on the tour bus, but our philosophy is a little bit different. Uh, we want someone to be extremely knowledgeable of the regions that they're traveling through. So uh, this past month, we took our team up to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we did a training for four days in the city. And our focus this year was on the history of immigration in America. Mm. And Pittsburgh definitely has a lot of history when it comes to immigration. And one of the sites that we visited uh, that I would recommend was the Roberto Clemente Museum. Uh, that was a fabulous place to visit about an immigrant who uh, had a huge heart 
uh, but was also a wonderful baseball player, a good family man, a true American. Uh, everyone was very touched by the story of Roberto Clemente. Are you familiar with his story? I am not. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Roberto Clemente. Uh, he was a man from Puerto Rico. Uh, he came to the United States to play baseball, and he was successful. Uh, but he always had the need to give back to the community, and he really loved children and family. Um, so whenever he had the opportunity, he would go and talk to kids in his off-season time. Uh, but he also wanted to help the Latin community. Uh, he, he sent some food and some supplies down to Nicaragua during the difficult years. And at one point, uh, he found out that his shipments were not getting to the people who needed it. And he got on a plane uh, to go find out where those goods were going, and he died in the plane crash. Oh, no. So he died tragically. Uh, he didn't even make it to 40 years old. Yeah, so mm-hmm. um, he was such an extraordinary man, and everyone really has a heart for him because he always wanted to give back with his success. And I think that's what being a, an American is all about. And being an immigrant makes it even stronger. You know, he came from a place where he didn't have so much. And when he did have money, he truly wanted to give back. And uh, how can you not like a man who has a big heart, like Roberto Clemente? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's always something very interesting and touching to me about people who amass a certain amount of resources and fame and wealth. But despite that, they still have a heart. It's not a lot of people, not authentically, uh, who want to, who see, a, who see, they see a need and then they want to address that need without a lot of fanfare. And, and that those are kind of the kind of attributes or the characteristics of people that makes you take note. That's right. And uh, it was a great learning experience for all of us to learn more about this man because now we have so much to say about him. Um, And the whole story of how the museum started was an accident. Um, There was a, a local photographer who just had a session for the family and friends of Roberto Clemente. And he decorated his photo studio, and he had all these pictures of Roberto Clemente. And then the family trusted him and said, you know what? I think we should start a museum. This is a great start. (laughs) That's how the museum started. Wow. And the family trusted the photographer to actually put this all together. And I think that's a, a, a wonderful bond to see and a story that we all need to hear about because those bonds are very important. Yeah, we need to hear about those over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And uh, there were so many stories about giving of immigrants. And what I find interesting about people who have immigrated to America is they want to give back. They are so appreciative of what they have when they come here, and they just want to give back. And I find that so amazing. Um There was another story that we learned about while we were in Pittsburgh, and that was of of Father Mollinger. Have you heard of St. Anthony's Chapel? That's in Pittsburgh. That's in Pittsburgh. And this chapel has the most public relics on display in the entire world. The only organization that has more relics is the Vatican but those are not Mm. visible. Um, These are all visible. And the story, again, is amazing of an immigrant. Um, Father Mullinger came from Belgium, and he went into this blue-collar community in the 19th century, and the people did not have enough money. You had Irish and Polish immigrants, and these people didn't have the money to build a chapel. 
So Father Mollinger came from a wealthy family, and he used his money to build this chapel. And then Mm. he collected relics, as many as he could. But he also collected them to protect them, because people were trying to steal and damage the relics in Europe. So he brought them to America in this chapel that he was building, and they're still protected there today. That's a fascinating story. It's inspiring as well. It is. I was so inspired, and um, I had the chance to meet Father Orr while I was there, who is overseeing uh, the chapel now. Um, And I think it's nice that they want to share. So it's open for tours. You can come and visit. Uh, It's wonderful. So I, I hope everyone has an opportunity to go and visit Pittsburgh. There was so much history there that we couldn't leave. <laughs> I hmm. mean, uh, you know, then we went down to the Cary Blast Furnaces, and then we talked a little bit about the Homestead Strike and what had happened to the workers who were fighting for their rights and how people died. And, you know, most of these people were immigrants. Uh, and it was very sad uh, to see these people who are dedicated to these companies uh, not being treated so fairly. And yet there are people who are very wealthy uh, who are not willing to compromise with some of the workers. Uh, so that was another uh, very sad story. Um, Doesn't sound like it's all that different from what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'm sharing the good and the bad with you. I think, you know, there is the good and the bad. Um the other immigrant who was a, a quite fascinating story was um, uh, Maxwell Vanka. Uh, he made these beautiful murals uh, about the story of immigrants to put in the chapel um, and at St. Nicholas's. And these were not like any murals I've seen in any church. He shows how death becomes of immigrants how they go off to war and they never come back. And he has a gas mask um, on mm. one of the soldiers. And I mean, it's things that we don't talk about. He mm-hmm. dared to show it in his artwork. And uh, his immigrant story was quite amazing um, because he was um, Croatian and he was married to an American Jewish woman. And they decided to come to America uh, because of World War II. And uh, so they came to uh, New York City, uh, but he was commissioned uh, for St. Nicholas's uh, Chapel to be able to do these murals. So another fascinating story. Well, you guys just got all kinds of experiences and information in Pittsburgh. And I'm just thrilled that you're able to share uh, those wonderful stories uh, with our listening audience. Because as I said before, this show is about tourism, every aspect of tourism. And so I think that when you learn more, the more you learn about other cultures and other people and experiences, it has an impact on you as an individual. I think it makes you a better person and ultimately a better citizen. That's right. And what inspired me to focus on immigration this year uh, was I kept hearing it in the media uh, every week this year. And I felt like there was not much to the truth of what was being told about the history of immigrants in this country. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, you got to turn poison into medicine. And so I decided that we were going to get in there, we were going to study the truth about immigrants in this country, and that we were going to share it with everyone. Do you, does your uh, entity, do you folks have a newsletter? We do. We have a newsletter, yes. We send it out quarterly. Mm-hmm. Well, those are the kinds of things I think you could share in that newsletter. If you hadn't thought of it, you maybe you have, but I was just just thinking, experiencing the stories um, that you're sharing. It'd be wonderful to share some of those things with with your 
clientele or people who um, are planning visits to America or people from within the United States who maybe have never been to Pittsburgh or wherever, you know, some of the other exciting places and experiences that you have um, indulged in. I think it would be excellent to share some of those. I'm, I'm not trying to have you be a magazine publisher, but it was just a thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, no, it's interesting that you asked that. Uh, we just created a few new tours that I put out in the newsletter. And uh, the one that I think that is going to be successful is The Men Who Built America, The Vanderbilt, J.P. Morgan, Frick, Clay. Mm. I mean, so we're, we're talking about the men who really built capitalism in this country to what it is today. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's important to know those roots and how we got there and why we think. And I think people are going to be very interested in this story uh, because some of the wealthiest men ever to walk this earth have come from that time period. <clears throat> I think that's fascinating. And you're, and you, and it's true. We, we have, recently had the privilege of visiting a couple of places here in Chicago just as tourists ourselves. We went to this particular museum, the Treehouse Museum, and to hear the origin of that and how that emerged was absolutely fascinating. And is some of some of the men who were extremely wealthy were involved in the creation of that only because, you know, it ended up being a place where somebody lived and, you know, it sort of expanded. It's just amazing, amazing interior, which just makes your jaw drop and just, you know, all of the business men who contributed to that. It's just amazing. So you get these little unusual stories that you don't anticipate encountering just like what you did with uh in pittsburgh so again i'm butting in so <laughs> so yeah, but this is no. a conversation i i like to think that these are not interviews they're conversations that we happen to share with the listening audience so so paula please forgive my intrusion but please keep going oh <laughs> No, we, we, well, we're doing so much right now, and, you know, that was just one of the things that we put out in our newsletter. Uh, the other is the um, baseball tour of America. Um, where did it all start? The origins of baseball. What does it do for us now? Uh, beginnings are always very humble, but what it's turned into today is a big business. Absolutely. Uh, but yet we all sit in front of the TV or we all go out to those games. It it does something for us, right? Yes. So, yes. <laughs> uh, we decided to explore a little bit about some of the legends, um, how baseball came about. Uh, you can't deny that sports is not an important part of American history. We love our sports. Uh, take a look at how much people spend on ads for the Super Bowl. I mean, <laughs> they know everybody's watching. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the entrepreneurial spirit of America. That's right. So that's another thing that we're developing that I think people are going to be very interested in. And then we have the Immigrant Tour of America. I think so many people recognize Ellis Island as just an island. But that is the National Immigration Museum for the country. And so many people do not look at it that way. Mm -hmm. And so we do um, a thorough tour starting in New York City on the history of immigration since 70% of the people came through there. That's why we start there. And then we take people to different avenues uh, to where people went after they immigrated to the United States. Uh, so that's another fun tour. And I find that Europeans are very interested in that because um, maybe, you know, they have a family connection or they know someone because uh, so many of the European immigrants came over uh, 100, 150 years ago. So they're very interested in that history. 
Yes, but um, and the last thing that we're focusing on um, in the newsletter is um, ecotourism, and that is lightly defined. Um, but we're really focusing on the environment and tours uh, where we can learn about birds and animals uh, so that we can learn to live together and be responsible. Um, I feel well, like that should go over pretty well. You, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm hoping. I mean, yes. we really need to play nice one with the environment. <laughs> um, you know, it's breaking my heart today to know that uh, the National Butterfly Sanctuary uh, is being bulldozed in Texas today. It's just breaking my heart to know that uh, we're going to destroy those butterflies just to build a wall. And um, Jesus I think the best thing we can do is to try to educate people so that we can uh, fight for the environment and the animals. Well, education is key. That's right. It is key because what's my, I know it wasn't original, but I've heard the saying, when you know better, you do better. And so I think that once people learn, the more people learn about the environment and the impact of what we do, mm-hmm. how how that impacts our, our virtually our lives, I think it can change behavior patterns. I think so. I think many people are not aware. I think we are busy trying to survive every day, and sometimes we are not aware of what's going on. Uh, I've read several articles that are telling me about how much plastic that they're finding in whales and dolphins and seals. I had no idea that that was happening, but they're starting to make us aware that we've got to be more careful with our plastics because they're getting into our mammals now. And so we have to take steps so that we can be more environmentally friendly. Uh, so I'm working on it, <laughs> but I, I pass on the education to everyone else. It's just awareness uh, that we're trying to bring onto our tours. Um, of course, we have a good time as well. It's not a classroom, <laughs> but we have a good time and we have fun. Well, it's sort of an informal classroom. That's what I like to think of. It's an informal, informal learning situation. Um, that's it's a, it's a win-win for everyone um, because I think it is is fulfilling when you know that what you're doing has a positive impact. And so there are people probably who take the tour who had no clue that they were going to encounter that kind of environment on a tour. And I think that I'm absolutely positive that they, they are all pleasantly surprised. Yes, and I think um, young people are very open. And uh, on the student tours, we try to do exercises and things with young people to make them think, write in their notebooks, I want them to talk about what they can do for their future. Uh, so we're really focusing on young people as well. We want to make sure that they have some awareness. I think it's great. So so one of the things that I would like for you to talk a little bit about is a subject that you touched on, I think was the last time you visited us a little over a year ago. And... I seem to recall seeing something recently about um, the Liberty Bell, some issue around that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, uh, the Department of the Interior has come up with a new regulation uh, to where all commercial tour operators have to uh, fill out a permit, which is not uncommon, not a problem. Uh, But the Liberty Bell is a free attraction, okay? And they are demanding that all tour operators pay a percentage of their profits based upon how many people they bring to the Liberty Bell per year. Mm. And it's a free attraction. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, why 
are we charging businesses for a free attraction, yet people can walk up? And there is no real commercial use. We're simply walking up to the Liberty Bell and taking a photo. There is no, no charge. We're not charging people to walk up to the Liberty Bell. And so um, this current government seems to have a different view about tour operators and uh, permits and charging a percentage of their profits. I don't think that's correct. What's going to end up happening is people are not going to pay the higher prices and they're not going to come to America and visit us as often. Or the people that live in America may choose not to pay the extra fees on a tour. So let me just get a little bit more <laughs> clarity. So are you saying that uh, when people want to go see the Liberty Bell, they now have to pay a fee? No, it is free. It is still free to walk up and see the Liberty Bell. But if you are a commercial tour operator or a tour guide, I guess you could say, you are required to fill out forms telling them how many people you brought to the Liberty Bell per year, and you are required to pay fees based upon how many people you brought. Is that, is that a per-visit uh, fee assessment, or is it an annual fee that they assess the tour company? Well, they can't assess it because they can't count. So they are asking us on the honor system to tell them how many people we brought to the Liberty Bell and pay the government a fee. <laughs> interesting. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, so when did this go into effect? That's an a interesting story. <laughs> so supposedly it went into effect in January, but then we were in the government shutdown. So I guess it's in effect now. Um, but uh, I haven't heard much about how this is going to be enforced. And I haven't uh, understood how they're going to regulate people walking up to a bell and taking a photo. <laughs> this gets even more interesting as you explain it um, well that's it. I'll have to keep tuned into that and kind of watch it to see how that uh, manifests and um, maybe, maybe John Q. Citizen will begin to write letters to the government maybe, maybe that is something that could have they can write letters and tell the government how ridiculous. Uh, There's a lot of great organizations and people that are writing letters to the government and they're being ignored. And that this is the real problem, uh, is that it has to be a situation uh, that goes to court because uh, the current government is uh, ignoring the situation and, uh, you know, the Department of the Interior Secretary was forced to step down at the end of this year um, because of uh, him being in, under investigation. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> this is a, a very difficult situation when the government is the one causing the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so tell us, do you have a particular place, um, someplace fun uh, that you can talk to the listening audience about? Maybe even a family-oriented uh, site that uh, families can participate that doesn't cost an arm and a leg, perhaps. Wow. There's <laughs> There's so many sites. Um, I mean, I think everyone has to go and visit the Statue of Liberty at least once in their life. And it is this icon of America. Uh, it represents so much of our history and what we've gone through. And so I highly recommend that every family go and visit the Statue of Liberty. 
you know, her seven points on her crown represent the seven seas and the seven continents. So she represents everybody. And her real name is in Liberty Enlightening the World. And so we want everyone to come and visit her and learn more about her uh, because she reminds us that we have to continue to work towards liberty. That's why she sits in our harbor. And she's not a real person for a reason. She represents the ideals. I think if there was a real person, we'd have to take her down because that's what's happening here in America. We're just taking down monuments. <laughs> hmm. Well, that's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many that we could have. <laughs> well, but, um, every everyone who visits America and every family who comes there has to really understand the meaning of the Statue of Liberty. It's a must. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that those are you've just given us some uh, very interesting uh, sites that you've provided information on. I think the listening audience, they were, if they were like me, they're taking notes <laughs> about places you, you one can visit. Even those staycation places, there are people who, who live uh, in a place, near a place, who've never even been to take, taken advantage of sites that are right near them, you know, places that have national parks and the like. And, you know, they just, they take it for granted. But those stake, those would be fantastic staycation places, I think. They are. I think most people do not explore in their own neighborhoods. And so people travel thousands of miles to see a monument or place, and yet people don't go to see the things that are right in their backyard. Mm-hmm. So vacations are excellent. <clears throat> I always love it when I get a local on one of my tours. Uh, and, you know, they're like, I've been meaning to do this for a very long time. And finally they make that decision to do what everybody else is doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's wonderful. But, but that's why there are people like you. God puts us, each of us here for a reason. And so there needs to be someone like you, if for no other reason, those people who live right in a city near a site that they've never gone to, but you make it so interesting that they want to come and see what you're doing. And in the process, they have an opportunity to uh, experience and enjoy a site that's right in their backyard and they find out in their amazement, I'm certain that they live right near a place and they could do a staycation and then they can become a tour guide and talk to their families and give their families the idea uh, that they have all this great experience and they may have just just from experiencing it for that one time that they became they inspired and interested in that place. Yes, and I really would like to see the schools make sure that they take the students out into their environment and learn the historic places. It starts in the school system. And mm-hmm. uh, I really would like to see the kids go out there. Then they can teach their parents, and then they can bring the family. <laughs> hmm hmm Well, Paula Reynolds, this is a wonderful conversation we've had. And don't don't be a stranger. Don't stay away so long. Come back and tell us some of your adventures. I loved when you came the first time and we talked about all of those places that you went, the exotic places that you went, and, and you didn't have to spend a lot of money. Those are always good for people to hear about. Yes, unfortunately, that's changing because of the national parks. So we, you know, the national park system is changing, and that used to be a free system, but that's changing. So I'll have a report for you in the future. I'm going to continue to to work on that. Uh, but next time I'm going to come and uh, visit you at the museum, and uh, I'll have a new story for you. How's that? That's wonderful. <laughs> that is wonderful. 
Everybody, join me in thanking Paula Reynolds of American Tour Guide Association in the United States of America. Thank you again, Paula, for coming, and we'll see you next time on your next visit. And we'll see you next time on Live from the Pullman National Monument. Live from Pullman National Monument was brought to you by Hughes Peterson Publishing in Chicago, Illinois. Hosted by Dr. Lynn Hughes.